Hi, welcome to James Miller Lifeology, where you learn to simplify and transform your spirit, mind, and body. My name is James Miller. I'm a licensed psychotherapist and a composer. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Let's get started. Did you know that on jamesmillerlifeology.com, you can enroll in the academy I created for listeners just like you? I've created courses you may take at your own pace, which will help you simplify and transform your spirit, mind, and body. Enroll in one of the classes today. I have a great show for you today. I'm going to give you some tips to help you effectively support others. I'll also be interviewing mental health advocate and a motivational speaker, Nancy Verdon, who shares her personal story of finding her support with her mental health struggle and how she inspires and encourages not only people struggling with mental illness, but those who support them as well. I have some exciting news. Did you know that I'm on the radio three times a week? You may hear me on the same station on Tuesdays at 1.30 p.m., Fridays at 9.30 a.m., and Saturdays at 12.30 p.m. You may also hear me anytime on iHeartRadio as well as on all the other major podcasting platforms, including iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and many others. Simply search for the show name, James Miller Lifeology. Are you struggling today to find your purpose? Has mediocrity set in and you can't imagine doing the same thing for the rest of your life? Are your relationships struggling or you aren't sure how to make long lasting changes in your life? Then today, contact me, James Miller. I will help you recognize the areas in your life that are going really well. And then we'll look at the areas in which you are struggling. We will create actionable solutions to help you create long lasting changes in your life. You don't have to do this alone. Go to my website, jamesmillerlifeology.com and click on the page, work with James. Fill out the form and it will be sent directly to me. Don't let another day go by without finding your way. Your change can start today. Once again, go to my website, jamesmillerlifeology.com and click on the page, work with James. Fill out that form to get started today. Giving support to others. I wanted to give you some practical tools and maybe a little bit of insight and ways to help the people around you. We all have great intentions of helping people. If we have a friend who's going through something, of course we want to help them. If we see a family member who's struggling, our heart goes out to them. However, sometimes our version of support is not really what that person needs. The first question to ask yourself is, what is my role? Often our version of support is giving advice or trying to fix something for somebody. But if your role is to be a friend, it doesn't mean that that's your job to fix it for them. As a mental health professional, people come specifically to me to help them through situations. So I know specifically what my role is. So I always recommend for the layperson who's helping their friends or helping people they care about is to remind themselves that they are the friend. It's not their job to fix it. The next thing to do is to simply ask the person, what do you need from me? There's nothing worse than a person telling someone else how upset they are, how overwhelmed they are, and the other person, instead of listening, tries to give advice. Well, you need to do this, or you should do this, because the person who's struggling doesn't hear that. They're not wanting to hear that. So it's always good for you, who's trying to help the person, to simply say, what do you need from me? Do you need a shoulder to cry on? Do you need some advice? Do you need me to check in with you? That simple question really sets the stage to be effective in your support, as opposed to inadvertently causing more distress for the other person. So important for us to not assume that we know what that person needs, it's just simply asking them. The next thing we have to really be vigilant of is patience. We offer them the support they need. And then sometimes we think, oh, that's it. The person's now fixed. Everything should be right as rain and we can go on with our lives. Sometimes that happens, but other times it doesn't. When you find that you're getting frustrated, when you find that you're not able to give them what they need, then perhaps you've switched your role to the fixer. You're to that person that has the best advice. You're the person that knows exactly what to do. And this is how they should get over it or get on with their life. 
great intentions, but unfortunately you're causing a rift again between the two of you because you're wanting to fix it. And that's when you can recognize if that's changed because you don't have the patience like you had before. If you find overall that in trying to help somebody, that it's causing you your own distress, well, then it is important for you to say, well, how can I still support this person but not become emotionally invested in this? That's all I think about, all I focus on. Because you yourself have your responsibility to maintain your own life. So it's really important for you to create those boundaries as well. If the person wants you to check in with them all the time, but yet you have your own family or you have your own responsibilities that you need to accomplish, then it is important for you to set limits and say, I would love to help you. However, these are the times in which I can check in with you, or these are the times that I'm available to help you. It's important for all of us to create a support group that we all can help each other. Just because in this moment we're helping this person doesn't mean that we're not gonna be that person who's also gonna ask our friend or ask someone else to help us as well. So the more we create these healthy boundaries of what role we're playing, asking the person what they need from us, finding that patience and not becoming overly invested, the more successful we're going to be to help our friend. And vice versa, as you create that healthy environment of support for them, when you're in need, they'll also be able to help you the same way. There's always hope. We've all been brought into each other's lives to help us find that hope. You are a great support to the people around you. A quick example of one of the courses you'll find in the academy entitled Spirit, Mind, Body, The Perfect Triad. This non-religious course helps you understand how your intuition, or rather your gut, your logic, and your body all work together to help you overcome any obstacle you may face. Enroll in the class today. Nancy Verdon is a suicide attempt survivor turned author, mental health and recovery advocate, and founder of Always the Fight Ministries. Nancy shares hope with those who struggle with mental illness, addiction and abuse, and teaches others how to help support their hurting loved ones without becoming overwhelmed themselves. Welcome to my show, Nancy. Hi, good to be here. Thanks, James. It's such a pleasure to have you be on my show today. Oh, I'm glad to be here. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, great. Now, the person with whom I'm speaking right now is not always the person that was kind of grew up in life. So I would love for you to give us a little bit of a backstory of, of where you were back then and the transformation that's happened in your life and all the things that you're doing to help instill hope and, and support the people who may struggle with, with mental illness. Sure. Well, as far as back as childhood, I'd have to say I grew up in a very hostile and violent situation. I wasn't sure who I was. I don't remember if I ever really had a sense of me. Mm. I married young, and I married somebody who I thought was going to rescue me and make me whole. And that's not how it works. No. So I went, I probably remember my very first diagnosable major depressive episode when I was 19 years old. I believe I've had more than that prior, but uh, now that I've had a few and I've had professional health care, I know what it is that, mm-hmm. you know, I can look back at 19 and go for sure. That was, that was one. And then again, at the age of 26, then again, at the age of 44 and then 49. And it was when I was 49 that ultimately this, this major depression and the severity of it led to a suicide attempt. Mm. But prior to that, there were a lot of times that I thought about suicide. I played with the idea. I remember one time thinking, okay, God, if you want this to happen, or if you don't want this to happen, you're going to have to stop me. And instantly, my mind was just flooded with thoughts of my children. Mm. And I 
that moment, even though I was pretty determined at that time to go ahead and die, I went to the internet and this was a few years back. This is when chat rooms were pretty new. Oh, gosh. And then I went online and I started talking with some people who actually stayed up all night with me. Strangers, I'll never know who they Mm. were, but um, they, they stayed up all night with me. And that happened to be the first time I was hospitalized. And that was, you know... That was good for me too. I mean, it kept sure. me safe. So. Yeah, exactly. And that's at the end of the story, at the end of the day, that's what we need is to be safe. Yeah. What I want to go back and I want to first normalize uh, this because I know sometimes people when they have a concept of of suicide or some people may have stigmas of what what people who try attempt suicide what that is and and just I really want to normalize your situation first off. So I first want to say thank you for sharing this with us. I know for some people it may be overwhelming to hear this, but for you this this is a part of your life. It's made you to be the person you are today, and it sounds like you like the person I'm speaking with today. So this is absolutely wonderful. But what I wanted to do was to normalize the aspect of mental health overall. I recently did a show called Thriving with Mental Health uh, a couple weeks ago, actually. And I kind of went over this as well, but I'll say just a real, real brief recap of that in the sense of we all will have some type of mental struggle throughout our life. I've been in my field for over 20 years working with, with patients all the time. You know, we all have some things, whether it's situational, whether it's behavioral, whether it's, it's neurological, whether it's a personality. So there's always something which links us together where we struggle. I'm assuming major depressive disorder recurrent. Is that what your diagnosis was? Yes. Oh, okay, good. Uh, not good, but thank you for... <laughs> That's great. So, gotcha. <laughs> so with that, so what major depressive disorder is, and so for, for my listeners to may not know what there is, there's actually five different versions of depression, but this particular version of depression is major depressive disorder, which is essentially people have what's considered like a baseline of what's considered like their normal range. But for major depressive disorder, what it is is they have episodes of depression. And these episodes of depression aren't just like, oh, I've had a rough day, I'm feeling bad. It is so visceral and so powerful that the episode itself can last between a week to almost two months, really. And, but it's so profound and so powerful that the person that is not in that major depressive disorder, you wouldn't even recognize them because they're helpless, they're hopeless. There's no light at the end of the tunnel, if you will. It just seems as if everything right. is so bleak. And then, so when that, when that episode leaves or when the episode ends, then they go back up to what, what their baseline is and they'll go for another you know, few months and then they can drop down again. And so when it's a recurrent part of the major depressive episode, and I'm trying not to get too technical here. It just means it happens quite often. And so people, instead of it just lifting and people going throughout their day, it will happen. There'll be cycles of that that happen throughout the year. Does that sound about right with you? Yes. The only thing I would tweak there is that when I was um, thoroughly depressed, I mean, to the point that, I mean, even as a Christian, James, I've been somebody who has served the Lord Jesus since I was a teenager. And yet, even at that time, I thought God can't even use Mm. me. I mean, that was pretty dreadful for me sure. because I've been somebody who has always been in some sort of ministry or another. So to even be at that point was, was very severe, but I have to say that it was much more than two months. I didn't come around to being able to thank the psychologist who saved my life for 16 months. Wow. I was still struggling with suicidal thoughts, powerful ones. And, um, I was I was in an IOP uh, intensive outpatient program mm-hmm. for uh, twice in that year. Um, I I can't say that was that was two months at all. Wow. <laughs> well, so in that case, it goes actually to what's called a refractory depression. So a, rac- a refractory depression is one in which it's really nothing touches it. Whether your your the the chemicals in your body don't re-regulate, medication doesn't touch it, therapy doesn't touch it. It's it's a refractory component where it's so powerful that nothing can touch it until it eventually runs its course. Okay. 
I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, so now you do. So now we all get a chance to learn that. So with uh, says so we'll put all that technical stuff aside because I just wanted to normalize that with my with my listeners because some people may not Thank understand you. what that is. But yeah, so we, we have an understanding of what you're going through. So how did you, what was your journey for you to pull yourself out of this to work through it so you understand who you are today? I have to honestly say I didn't pull myself out of it. I I know that I played a role in the sense that I was willing to work. I chose to be teachable. Mm -hmm. I was willing to apply what was told to me. But in this, but as far as having the strength to even decide to do that, I'm not sure that came from me. Mm. I I know that there was a um, time where I was just hanging on to the idea that God might still have a plan for me. And that gave me hope that nobody else could give to me. But it wasn't even the kind of hope that I grasped with joy. It was more like, dang it, you mean I still have to live? (laughs) (laughs) There's a purpose and and a plan uh, for your life. That's right. (laughs) And uh, and, uh, the uh, probably one of the first lessons that started to peek through that darkness was when my therapist told me that it was okay to get my needs met. Wow. I have to say that that was, that was brand new. And I was 49 years old. I hadn't, if I had heard that before, I'd never grasped it. And I thought that that was amazing. I remember sitting just kind of straight up in my chair and I was like, really? That's not selfish? Wow. <laughs> I didn't understand. I thought my entire life was about serving other people. And one of the things that has really changed is that I know now that my life is about serving other people, but it's in a pure way. It's not in a, I have to do this way. It's in an, I want to do this way. And that comes from a place, if I can stop for one second, that comes from a place of Mm -hmm. strength. That comes from a place of of choices. We often don't realize that we have choices in everything we do. Some of the choices we make, they're not healthy for us, but other choices are. And so in this particular essence, it came from this particular choice for you. It came from a place of power, of strength, of wanting to serve as opposed to being told or mandated to serve. Absolutely. I had been raised with a type of religion that was what some might call legalistic in the sense that it was, I have to please God. I have to do all the right things to serve God. You know, Jesus won't like me if I don't do this Mm -hmm. and that and the other thing. And the bottom line is that while I believe there are certain commandments or whatever that we're supposed to obey, his love for me is passion. It's not pity. And it's, it's not, okay, fine. You did enough today and tomorrow. Yeah. We start all over again. It's, I love you so much that even if you screw up, I still love you. (laughs) And the, the concept of living one day at a time and getting your own needs met through however that needs to be done, um, was, was just brand new. And yet very much what I believe my faith is about. Now I have to say that when he first told me that it was okay to get my needs met, he also asked a question. What is the one thing that you need to have in your life in order to know joy? Hmm. And it honestly didn't take me very long to figure that out because in the hospital, we'd had art therapy. Now I'm creative to the bone and it was something that I set aside and allowed myself to use for other people on a regular basis, you know, like when I was teaching crafts to kids or things, but I didn't use it just for me. It never made sense that I could Mm. just sit down and do art for me. 
And so when he said that, my instant answer was creativity. Without it, I feel like I'm shriveling up inside. Mm. And so the first thing I did, probably I think the first move I made towards my own mental health was to sign up for an art class. Wow. And it was, it has become a permanent fixture in my life. I've set aside space in my home for it. And, you know, it's, it's that kind of caring for yourself. Mm. I didn't realize was okay, but it makes a lot of difference. Yes. Well, you think about it because if you're always serving someone and you're not being fulfilled yourself, well then there's nothing left. You know, there's, right. if, you know, you think of a water, if you pour water into a, a glass and all of a sudden the water drips out, well, that's you serving people, but there's no more water. Well, then there's nothing more to give. There's nothing there's more nothing to come left. up. And so in that you're, right. you're, you're always exhausted and you're always drained and there's no, there's no life. There's no life in you at all or a person who does it all the time. I'm so glad to hear that you found the, that art. It's funny, I actually worked in a partial hospitalization program years ago and um, I actually, I facilitated the art therapy and so it was um it's it's nice to hear you say this as well because i would see so many people who would who just had joy with that as well you could just see their light oh, their yeah. faces light up with everything and they, they spent hours and hours in there and it was just it's such a beautiful creative uh, time of just reflection and getting lost in, in the beauty of one's mind and the creativity yes mm-hmm. yes every time i've been in a hospital and i've been in four different times i've shot for the art room. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So now with that, you've, you've, you've kind of moved into a different direction as far as you know, you advocate as well. Tell me more about the advocacy that you do. Well, sure. You know what? My, my aim is through writing and public speaking to get across to people who are really struggling. Um, my, I should say my main audience, the ones that I really want to talk to the most, are those who are on the edge and thinking about suicide right now or perhaps have already attempted. My secondary audience is people who want to be supportive but don't know how. Mm-hmm. Because one, the number one pain that I have observed in support groups and, and otherwise that I that I have had attachments to people who struggle is – that there's not the kind of support out there that people really need to start to feel strong and feel better. There's a lot of condemnation. There's a lot of accusation. There's a lot of desperation Mm -hmm. from support people who are just wanting you to be back to normal already. But there's not a lot of loving, non-judgmental acceptance. And that is really, I think, all that people who struggle with mental illness or addiction are, are asking for. Yeah. And I think you're, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, you know, there's people who may not struggle with that at all. It is a simple, well, just stop. Why can't you stop doing this? Well, get over it or move on or whatever that is. And it it really minimizes people in the struggle that they have. uh, Because if it was that easy, you would have done it. (laughs) And it's like, it's, I find it very minimizing when I hear, you know, people say that to other people, because it's like, we're all intelligent people. (laughs) Why would you tell me just get over it? I would have tried that already. (laughs) Thank you. Or if you've attempted suicide, you know, you were just seeking attention or something like that. Well, I needed attention so badly that I was willing to give up my life because I didn't have it. I wasn't trying to kill myself because I wanted you to think I was, uh, you know, a sorry sack and you would come around me. I was trying to end my life. Mm -hmm. So it's not simple to go around and point to anything and say that is just this or just that. I don't care what area of life you're looking at. We are complex people 
And there's a ton of things going on behind every story that yes. not everybody else is going to know. So when you have a disease like depression, which tends to manifest itself mostly in blue days and bad days, but can also get into the extremes, as you were describing earlier, it's not fair for most people who struggle with the blue days once mm -hmm. in a while to turn around and go, oh, I know what you're dealing with. You just need a nap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, that's not going to cut it, yeah, you know? Exactly. So, but how can you show something that doesn't show? I, I could show you a skin wound. I could show you cancer. I could show you anything, you know, but I can't show you my depression. You just have to believe me. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think that's wonderful that you are advocating to help people, either in the primary aspect of this, those people who are suffering themselves and the secondary who are supportive of those people to really help them kind of all navigate through the system and just offer a place with not judgment and just simple acceptance of, I've, I understand where you've been and this is my life. This is what, I, what I've done and, and helping them kind of see that there is a way out. There is an answer for them because there's always an answer. You just have to find it. There is an answer. But I, I honestly feel that for me, it had to be brought to me. I think I was utterly helpless to find it. It was something that if I did not have professional mental health care at that time, I would not be here mm -hmm. because it was simply a matter of time uh, before I would have tried again. In fact, I did try again while I was in the hospital. Yeah. So it was, it was just not, it, it, I, I, I kind of, um, I guess I kind of stiffen a little bit when we suggest that anybody can find their own answers because I've just not found that to be true. I think when you get to the end of everything you've ever tried, you need help. Mm -hmm. There's not going to be just you finding your hope again. It's, it's not going to happen that way. Correct. Yeah, but the good thing is, is that there is always hope that whether it's through, through your, through your ministry, through, through my show. But the point is, is if I can't find it, someone's going to help me find it for me. Hope is hiding. Yeah. <laughs> it hides behind these black curtains of confusion and fear fear and, and despair, but that doesn't mean it's not there. Exactly. It just means we're blinded to it yes. for the moment. And that's one thing I've loved about being, a, I guess sometimes I call myself a healer, if you will, in the sense of, of the mind, you know, being a, a psychotherapist for so long to be able to help people find that way. And just to see that, you know, years later, I may never, you know, many people I worked with, I may never even know what happened with them in the sense of where they are today. But if I get that random email to say, James, you know, I was thinking about you, you worked with me 15 years ago, and I want you to know this is where my life is. And to know that I could be a part of that. And so some small way or you can be a part of it in your way all that it's, it's yeah. just a beautiful thing and so yes, to, to help people just in any moment and that's one thing I always like people to realize is just kind of what you said before behind closed doors our story is completely different than maybe how we may present to the world and just that simple concept of making your environment being an environment changer. So for me right now, I'm talking to you and I'm talking to, to my listeners. So you and I, Nancy, we're changing our environment based off of what our listeners are hearing us. You know, and everything we do, we literally have the ability to change our environment such a degree by, by a simple smile or to do something where, oh, yes. where people are like, oh, I, I needed that, you know, and we don't even know what we can do when it comes to changing that world. But it, it's just a beautiful thing. Oh, yeah. Yes. And I strongly recommend that when you know someone who's struggling, whether it be depression or anything else, don't assume they need their space. Just because they're not answering you doesn't mean they need their space. Sometimes they just need you to reach out repeatedly yes. and tell them how much you care about them. If you leave them a message on their phone and they never call you back, leave another one. It doesn't matter how many times they ignore you. They're struggling to survive that day, perhaps. And 
If not, they're just struggling to have the energy to function. You may see them at work and then they don't respond to you outside of work. That doesn't mean they don't care about mm -hmm. you. If you know they're struggling with depression, they're struggling. Exactly. And the best thing we can do is just be there. You know, and I want to, exactly, and I want to take it, maybe, maybe piggyback off that just a little bit. When we support people, we have to remember, we can't fix this for them. We're there to support. <laughs> right. it's the support is, is a key word. If that is making them, you know, just stopping by and bringing them a meal or maybe cleaning their house or just giving them a, uh, sending them a text or giving them a phone call, that is what they need is to let people know that, they, that people care about them. But if, if, my, if all of a sudden I think, oh, you know what, this is what you need to do and and I'm going to, I'm going to, I have the right answer for you to work through this on your own. Well, that doesn't work really because it's not my job to fix it for people. We all have to find our own way, but my job as a supporter and my encourager and the layman's role is to help them in a way where I just simply give them a call or say, I'm thinking about you or I miss you or have a, I hope you have a wonderful day today. And, you know, so we all have our role to play when we're helping these people. And then as, of course, me as a professional, that's a completely different, different story. But when it comes right. to me as a, as a lay, lay person, that is what we have to do. Our job isn't to fix it for the people who are struggling. Well, for one thing, we have to be humble and realize we're not diagnosticians and we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> yeah. Most of us are not mental health professionals. Yeah. So to to just jump, make that jump into, oh, I know how to fix this is pretty, pretty powerful. And it's based on stigma. Yeah, it really is. You've got somebody with a heart attack. You're probably not going to stand there and go, oh, you just need a strong bath. You know, <laughs> it, it, it's it's not going to fix it when we're out of our realm we have to admit we need the, mm -hmm. the experts in this situation but after that you know i think sometimes our so-called support is just a matter of trying to force the other person back into normalcy so that our lives can feel mm -hmm. better exactly because then we can go back to the status quo as and do the things that are healthy for us Yes. And that's really hard when you've got a, a husband who's hiding in the closet and can't get out. And you've got a little four-year-old boy asking what daddy's doing. Mommy just might get a little stressed. Of course. So it's understandable. But at the same time, the patience that is called for um, it, you know, I, I met that particular father, which is why I use that story. And, and he was just feeling so low you know maybe i just need to die because maybe my son needs a different kind of father oh my gosh i'm so sorry to hear it, that it's just you know depression lies to you. yes it does <laughs> and so it this none of this was her fault i don't want to put any blame on her i'm just saying that he would have benefited from honey i love you i'm sorry you're in the closet can i sit with you mm -hmm. <laughs> And that's you know. the thing we we don't know we don't know until afterwards you know so hopefully if if that often yeah sure and if that were and you know moving forward perhaps that is something that she'll be able to do have you ever heard of what's called the wellness recovery action plan a wrap program I have but I don't recall it I just remember hearing about it one sure time ago. it's it's and I I I am not endorsing this this is just something I've worked with um, that I think is it's it's something that some people have worked with which really just helps the person lay out when, when they're doing really well to when they're not doing well, the whole spectrum of that. And what it does is you get to talk about how, what are the characteristics of your personality when you're doing well? And what are the characteristics when you're not doing well? When people see you, how will they know when you're doing well? And how will they see when you're not doing well? And so it goes through the whole spectrum of when you're on top of the world and then when you're not, and sometimes even to the hospital and then what's the, what's the plan to get you back on track. But what I really love about this particular plan is 
it puts you, not you personally, but it puts the person who has ever struggling with, with whatever emotional distress they're experiencing, puts them in control of what their needs are all throughout that. So if, you're, if they're doing well in the moment, well, they can kind of think, well, historically, let's say if I've been in the hospital, this is what I didn't like. I didn't like going to this hospital or this doctor I didn't feel comfortable with working with. So I right. want to make sure that I don't, if I do go to the hospital again, that this is, that I don't have to worry about that. And so this plan itself is a beautiful, wonderful thing. Yeah. Um, in fact, the person who, who uh, created it, she uh, was, she was a patient at one time and um, now she's a, a mental health advocate as well. But so I do really recommend things like that when someone can kind of think through the whole journey of their whole uh, life as far as when they're on top of the world and when they're, when they feel as if they're, they're you know, I, I, either in um, the hospital or not, but just looking at what their needs are, when are things breaking down? What are some triggers? How do they get their life back yeah. on track? Because in every step, there's yeah. always an action plan. The action plan is if I'm starting to stumble, this is what I need to do. And so That's the great right. thing about this plan and I'm, like I said, I'm not trying to, um, to plug this plan per se, but it, it is good because once it's done, then you, you give it out to the people who are caretakers who really trust you. So they can say, aha, James is looking this way. So I can tell he's doing well or, uh, you know, he's acting this way. You know, he hasn't done some of these things on a daily basis. You know, let's say if he hasn't cleaned his house on a daily basis or taken a shower on a daily basis, I can see that those are signs and symptoms that he's starting to kind of go backwards. And then they can start to say, hey, James, did you know this is happening? So it's really good because it helps people all in that and that support system really come together into a beautiful way to support the person in the way that that person says they need to be treated as yes. opposed to everyone else saying, this is what you have to do. This is what you have to do. So that, that was right. just, you know, just something to think about. If it doesn't have to be with that, that wellness recovery action plan, but it can be anything when, the, when you, myself, and anybody who's struggling with something, when we can sit down, when, we're, when we have the, the clarity of mind to come up with what do I need, what works and what didn't work as opposed to, let me just go through this again and play it by ear. Because when you play it by ear, if, as we've all experienced, it doesn't have the healthiest outcome at times that it could. That's right. Ultimately, James, we are responsible for saving our own lives. Yes. And we have to be willing um, at some point, I think, to take the measures to tell people around us what exactly it is that we need. And hopefully they believe us and hopefully they will act on that. And if not, we can find other people yes. Who, will, yes. <laughs> who will listen. That is very but, true. We do have to take the time. We can't just sit around and assume that somebody's going to rescue us. And I, I really like that. I like the fact that you're teaching people responsibility. We are all our self-made people when it comes to the choices we make. That from the biggest choices, the little choices, they all add up to who we are today. And so it is good that people have uh, can maybe go to a mental health practitioner when they need it. And sometimes, well, actually, we all need to pick me up now and again. So whether you have, whether you have a, a mental health diagnosis or not, it's always good to have a little, a little tweak of your mind to make sure that you're on the right path, what's healthiest for yourself. Unfortunately, Nancy, our time is up. But if my listeners would like to find out more information about you and about all the amazing things you're doing, where would they find your information online? They will simply go to alwaysthefight.com. Wonderful. Well, Nancy, thank you once again for being a guest on my show today. I've really appreciated it. And I'm sure my listeners have had some wonderful takeaways from your interview today. Well, thank you. It's been a joy being here. <laughs> James, thank you. I also want to thank you, the listener, for tuning in today. Please subscribe to this radio show through whichever portal you joined with us today, or please go to my website where you may sign up for my free newsletter, watch my YouTube episodes, read the articles I've written specifically for you, or you may enroll in the Lifeology Academy where you can take self-directed courses which will help you simplify and transform your spirit, mind, and body. If you'd like to personally work with me, be a guest on or advertise on this show, simply visit jamesmillerlifeology.com. Be sure to follow me on all social media platforms under the name James Miller Lifeology, except for Twitter, which is James M. Lifeology. Once again, thank you so much for your support, and I'll talk to you soon.